Hello there, it's another Line Upon Lines Bible discussion. Uh, today we're looking at the divine connection uh, and foundation truths from Genesis um, chapter 2 here, uh, verse number uh, 7 and 8, uh, including chapter 1, verse 28. So we're going to look uh, at this subject. David Williamson from Belfast is joining us for it, and we're going to discuss it together as we delve deeply into the Word of God to find out more about him, about each other, and about the world, the world around us. So I trust you'll join us and perhaps grab a cup of tea or coffee and um, enjoy the word with us. Thank you. Hello, David. Good to see you again. Um, Good to be with you, Andrew. Yeah, so we're looking today at what I've termed the divine connection, uh, Genesis 1, 28 and 2, verse 7, I think, maybe 7 and 8, and one or two other wee verses thrown in from this little section. Um, so we'll read together um, Genesis 1 and verse 28, uh, and then move down into chapter 2. Then the Lord blessed them, and God, sorry, then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We move down to chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. And the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being or a living soul. Then the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Then uh, verse 15 says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. Well, we've, we've been looking at a, a number of interesting uh, truths uh, that are foundational to us as, as Christians and even more generally are foundational to the, the, the world that we, we live in and inhabit. We looked at man last time created in the image of God. That was really our focus. And we... we really came to the conclusion that there was a, a dignity and a value that each human being has um, because of that. Um, I was thinking about this, David, and, and, and what came into my mind was that there's really a connection that's emphasized here between God and man that isn't emphasized with any other created being as we know. We have read of God blessing and speaking to the man in Genesis uh, chapter 1. And then we take this deep dive into the creation account in chapter two. Uh, it seems to be coming from an, a different angle. Okay, looking at this passage, David, I was I was thinking, um, is there anything that, especially at the end of chapter one, that, that we, we, we should emphasize before we move on into uh, chapter two? Uh, anything that you observe that really th you think stands out in the narrative about the relationship of God and man and, and things like that? Yeah, well, yeah, well, we mentioned um, in, in the, the last podcast, uh, Andrew, that uh, linked with man being in God's image was the thought of, of rule. And we, we saw that in, in verse uh, 26, it says, and let them have dominion uh, over, and it talks about the fish and the, the birds and the cattle and, and the, the, the beasts and so on. And that's re-emphasize just as you come down uh, further. So man's given this responsibility in respect of creation. He, he's to procreate, he's to uh, 
subdue the earth. Um, he, he's to fill it and so on. I think an important thing maybe just to note here is that uh, while man is a, a ruler, that uh, he's not intended in any sense to be a tyrant in mm. respect of, of, of creation. Um, you know, the, the, the creation is always God's creation. It doesn't belong to man. And uh, God evidently would want man to rule it in keeping with God's own character. Uh, and of course, we know that God isn't, isn't a tyrant. And um, when we come to verse 29 and 30, they're just, just flowing down that, that passage. God doesn't only tell man that he's, he's provided food for him. But he, he sort of brings man into his confidence and, and he talks about the fact that he has provided food for, for the animals and the birds and, and, and this type of thing. So God takes man into his, his counsel and he reveals things to him about the creation that, that he, he made. And I think, as you kind of hinted at there, I think that this is a, a further indication just of the unique role that the human being has in respect of, of creation and creation care mm-hmm. um you know so um, yeah go ahead just on that um so so what you're saying is that that man was never designed to be like a dip, dis, despot or a tyrant in con in contrast in a sense he's a tenant yes absolutely yeah maybe more than a tenant in the sense he's been brought into the he's been brought into uh, the realm of, of of God's rule in the sense that that God is saying, listen, this is this is what this is made for. This is what the, the animals need to be fed. But but there's that sense in that that that, that suggests that the, that there's care involved, perhaps you think? Uh, yeah, well you you mentioned the, the sort of vice regent type uh position of the man i think in the last discussion and mm-hmm. i mean that that that's obvious when you think about it. i mean at present as you know there's a there's a big environmentalist type push and uh but well, why is that uh why is it that we care for the environment why is there even any kind of uh, desire within us to do so well there there can be good and, and bad desires towards that or, or for that but but what we can see is we look around we, we don't see any other animals um, you know, any just uh, of the other species um, concerned about the survival of a different species. I mean, yeah. I, I've mentioned elsewhere, like blue whales aren't puzzling over how to save the birds. You know, there, there, there's not this this kind of uh, of thing. And, and it just shows that man has that very unique status in creation where there is a sense in which there, there is a felt responsibility. Yeah, I like that. I like that way it's put there. The, yeah, the felt responsibility. It's almost, and that in itself is, it's it's actually something that, from a naturalist point of view, it's hard to explain. I mean, why should we have any felt responsibility? And and the argument, I suppose, would be made by them. Uh, well, we're looking after ourselves when we're looking after others, but. Well, it sort of stops. It stops holding much water when you know there's no co- direct connection between whether you look after some of these animals and, and mankind. You yeah, know? I, 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 absolutely. And I mean, you know, to 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 expand on that whole thing of of the care for the environment and this this desire that 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 
people around us have and the push that there presently is uh, to, to care for the environment. You know, the, 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 the Christian position or the biblical position in that is, is a different position than that of the present day environmentalist. And I think a, a morally much higher uh, position uh, to hold, um, you know, I mean, f- first of all, environment, environmentalists uh, or environmental activists, we, we should say, tend to view the world as the ultimate reality. And uh, they feel this responsibility to the world to care for it. And But, you know, as, as Christians, we, we see God behind the universe and, and we see that he cares for the world and uh, it's his own possession and uh, we've been placed in it. And so we've a duty of care. And that duty of care is uh, really given by God to us. And that, that makes a big difference. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think like, I mean, there's the obvious knee-jerk response that I've made. I'm sure other Christians have made when it comes to these things. It's like there, there's the kind of save the world mantra and whatever that, that's associated with it. And there, there's a kind of ostentation that, you can see underneath the surface with that, you know, it's like as though man is going to save our planet, really. Yes. You know? I mean, yep. and you can see, I mean, theologically, uh, looking at scripture, the only one that will save the world, so to speak, is is God. Yeah, and I think <laughs> that, that and, yeah, that adds to this distinctive view of creation that the Christian has, which. Uh, means that his care for his environment, which is encouraged by passages like this, um, is from a different motive. You know, it's not, you know, if we don't care for the environment, you know, we're all going to be destroyed. We're all going to perish. Um, So so it's not out of fear. It's not out of panic that we're acting to save the world. But the the believer knows that... uh, God's purpose for this earth is going to be perfectly fulfilled. I mean, the predictions that have been made in the past and perfectly fulfilled uh, just indicate that the predictions which have been made for the future will also be perfectly fulfilled and and God has everything under control. But we care for creation with a a higher motive. Um, There's that thought of duty. Uh, There's also a thought of of devotion to God. This is God's planet. Mm -hmm. Um, We love the one who made the planet. He has given it to us, um, and uh, all of its blessings and all of its uh, all of its beauties and so on. And so, if we have a love for God, there will be an appreciation of that which He has made, um, uh, which should cause a response in us. I think of uh, just not abusing, yeah, uh, not being careless uh, with the planet that God has given us. Yeah, well. You know, I, I live in a rented property and, um, you know, just occasionally when one of the kids does something, I'm like, I've got, ah. I've got a landlord here. Yeah. yeah. Please, family. But uh, in, in that sense, there's a sense in which, you know, you, you, you hear of the, you know, the destruction of the rainforest. You, you hear of, um, you know, the what, the destruction of environments and ecosystems. <laughs> for uh you know usually under underlying it there's there's a greed associated with it um and things like that uh, and and you're looking at it and everything about it 
tells you that that's wrong at some level. Um, and, and from a Christian perspective as well. And, and so I think, it, is, is there a danger that Christians can go to two extremes with this? Uh, they can go to the extreme as like, oh, this is nonsense. And you know, at the end of the day, you know, the, the planet's not going to disappear underwater in the next five or 10 years, like the way some extremists would, would suggest. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, you know, I'm just going to, you know, almost rebel against the the you know these daft stipulations and yeah, the cultural kind of pressure to become yeah, the, it yeah, yeah. So there's a kind of there's a, a knee-jerk cultural reaction because we don't agree with where the culture is going yeah. but they, they can actually feed into almost a rebellious streak within yeah. us if we're not careful and i'm saying that to me as well as anybody else yeah. um do you think that's i mean that seems to be one extreme that a christian could take on it that wouldn't be in line with this idea of being a tenant, of being a, a, a you know, one who's been given, assured, one who has a responsibility to care for. Would you say yeah. that that would be true? Uh, absolutely. It's, you know, I think it's, and, and the other extreme is that, you know, we, we, we are so nervous uh, to do anything that we can't use it, mm-hmm. whereas we are instructed to subdue the, the earth and, and so on. And, and we're also... Um, you know, instructed to use it for our food and uh, later on the animal creation for our food and different things like this. All of these things are, are but I think the difference is really in the the uh, motivations towards things very, very often. You know, if we are motivated by greed mm-hmm. um, and if we are showing a, just a destructive uh attitude i mean that's wrong in every circumstance if if you know we don't as i think it was francis schaefer said something like this he said you know you don't deface things just for the sake of defacing them you know that that's that's not that shouldn't be characteristic of us we shouldn't be destructive people it says of of those who have um you know rejected god and so you know it, it says that destruction and misery are, are are in their ways that's a characteristic of, it shouldn't be a characteristic of, of the Christian. So, so there is beauty in the world and it's beauty that God has put there and it's beauty that's there to be enjoyed and appreciated in connection with the God who gave it. And it's not, it shouldn't be ours to willfully and wantonly destroy that beauty. I think that that's... Do you think, this is an interesting subject, beauty, and, and, and I don't want to take us too far off off our text but but it's just something i'm thinking about now i mean, I, I was having a disagreement with my boy um isaac the other day um he's seven and um as you know but he was talking I mean, we were talking about the snail and i says flat you don't don't destroy it. it's beautiful now that wasn't really the it wasn't the best response you know i could have said why not that i just randomly destroy a snail you know it's there's no point in it you know but anyway I was thinking about it just there now when you, you when you're speaking. You know, often beauty is in layers. You know, I I remember, I remember um, having a lecturer in pharmacy, and they were talking about fungi, and 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 the, the lady was, you know, she was like waxing lyrical on the beauty of fungi, and I mean, you know, it's kind of farcical as you think of it, like. Funguses aren't, if we might put them in normal parlance, fungi are not things that we find beautiful. 
there are things that we react negatively to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, there might be good reasons for that. But, but actually, when you start to think and, and you start to delve into it and you know how they work and how the, all of a sudden you start to see there's a purpose, there's a, and there is a, a kind of beauty that's associated with so many things in creation that, you know, you, you, that to the initial eye might seem like just wasting space or, uh, you know, somehow be not worth saving. It's like God has created it. There's a purpose to it. Let's not just go out of our way to willfully damage things for the sake yeah. of it, you know. And yeah. it might be going a bit far, but um, I just yeah. Well, you know, if you like, if you if you you know had if you you know I don't know plucked a beautiful rose and uh, gave it to Lindsay, hmm. you know, and uh, presented the tour, you know, nicely in a yeah in some way and some nice packaging and so on. And, and she took it and, you know, she crushed it. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a sense in which that is, again, showing an attitude towards you. We know Lindsay wouldn't do that. Uh, but, but in the same way with, with creation, when there are beauties that God has placed there for us to enjoy, and he's done it in a gift way, because some of them are not necessary to life in the sense that we could live Without these beauties, we could manage, we could get through, but God has made a creation which is filled with beauty. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not, it, it seems uh, counter to our appreciation of God and his greatness and variety in creation and the character that he has to destroy wantonly things which are, are not really for, for um, you know, for good purpose. Yeah, just... Interesting because, um, and we'll probably want to move on from the environment shortly, but I think there's one other aspect that seems to be growing in the West, and this is a pantheistic notion of, you know, Mother Nature, capital mm-hmm. N, capital N. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, we I was speaking the other day to a, um, a pagan, uh, well, a modern pagan, whatever, um, man uh, who was really into his little plants. He wanted to get more plants and give them, give everybody a plant. Um, it was interesting, interesting discussion. Um, however, what, what really, you know, if, if you remember the hymn, this is my father's world. There's a sense in which as Christians, our appreciation of the beauty of nature should never fall into the trap of idolizing nature itself. Absolutely. As yeah. an end in itself, would that be a fair comment? Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think so, Andre. There, there's an order. There's an order of value um, in creation, and yeah. there's the one who's above it all, which is is God. He's the one to worship, and even within creation, we've already thought the last time we were speaking about the the uniqueness of man made in the image of God, and we, we mentioned the last time about those different uh, mentions of creation, the word to create. Yeah. And what we saw that there, there was the creation, I, I take it of the, 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 the world in a sense, almost like the, just the, the natural world as it is. And then there's the creation of animals and then there's the creation of man. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that there's an order in there of value. And as far as, you know, he, yeah. God treats the animal different than the tree, you know, 
Um, he treats the man different than the animal. Mm. And there's a sense in which I think that we have responsibility to act accordingly if, if we've been placed in this responsibility, in this position to represent them. That's really helpful, David. Thank you. Um, that was, yeah, I, th- I think it's a big subject and it's not going to go away anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what, what, what we are you know, hearing about people wanting to reach net zero by 2050 and all that, it's going yeah. to be the big push of the next 20 or 30 years. And so the Christian response is important. Um, it's important so that, and, and as you say, you know, and keeping things in perspective, you know, the, the moral ob- obligation we have to not to be marked by greed and, and, and harming unnecessarily or uh, those kind of things and cruelty, things that, that yeah, are yeah. clear from scripture, you know, um, yeah. but we, we don't need to be against people who are against animal cruelty. <laughs> for for example, no, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. That is that is it is not good uh, for to be cruel to animals for the sake yeah. of it. You know, um, now the balance with that is that there's a big vegan movement now, and and basically they view they they make animals more important sometimes than than human beings, yeah. uh, and and I think we need to be careful with that movement as well. That there, there's a, there's there, there's really a, a almost a religious zeal that some of them have, so that's that's probably in the same sort of category. Um, well, we'll maybe move on. Um, there's obviously the two accounts of the creation of of, of man. Uh, there's the chapter one account that we have mentioned, made in the image of God, and so on. And uh, there's not a lot of detail in it, if you like, um, but but there's a certain emphasis. And then in chapter two, we come on to a, a second account. Um, now there are there are those who who dispute the two accounts or say that you know one is contradictory to the other in some way, mm-hmm. uh, which um, as it sometimes doing things like the gospels, um, but it seems clear that there's some kind of different perspective going on here. And Jonathan, <laughs> sort of, you want to add into that? Um, well, the the. the... Chapter one, I mean, when you read down chapter one, as you know, there's a, there's a kind of an overview. It's wow. kind of a, a, an overview of the, the creation. And, you know, you could almost imagine it like a panoramic photograph or something of the sort, you know, where the, the whole thing is given in a sweep. And, um, you know, although there, there is a movement in it as well to the climax or, or crescendo, as we mentioned in, in, in man. But when we come into chapter two, that as you've said, there's this perspective change and it's focusing in and zooming in really and uh, we're moving from a universe mm-hmm. to a garden you know and uh, we're moving from I take a generic man nearly we could say in, in chapter one yeah. Um, yeah. and we're moving to this one specific man in yeah. chapter two now we're, we're not saying that the man in chapter one's a different man than chapter two oh, but it's yeah. looked at from different perspectives and and so that when we come into ch- chapter two, it's almost not, it's almost man in creation. Okay. If, if you get me, it's not man, it's not the act of creation up until the, the creation of man, but man created and he has responsibilities and relationships and roles. And, and this is the life that man lives within. This is man as integrated within the creation that God has made. Is that what you're saying? I, I think so. Yeah. Yes. Like, so, so he's almost the hub 
and he has different responsibilities moving out in different directions and, and different relationships within that. So this is man as God intended him to live, I take it, within the yeah. creation yeah. that God has made. And so there are lessons maybe from that, you know. Yeah, and, and then, of course, there's this, um, the the change in the name of, of God here as well, isn't there? In chapter two, there's an emphasis anyway is being placed on, on the Lord God or Yahweh, Elohim, if you like your Hebrew. Um, uh, and in, instead of Elohim, God um, is emphasized in, you know, the creator God seems to be the focus there in chapter one. But now, why do you think that that is? Why, why yeah. is it? Yeah, it's obviously intended for something, isn't it? it? You know, because verse four is the beginning of really of the second creation account, if we can put it like that. And and in verse four, that's the first time this word, the Lord God is used or this expression, the Lord God is used. And, and it's used through chapter two and it's used through chapter three with a notable exception at the beginning of chapter three, which we'll maybe get looking at more, you know, um, if we're, we're, we're examining that, but, um, you, you know, L is, is a, a general word for God and it's, it's linked with the idea of power. Uh, Elohim is a plural form of that. So there's plurality and power in some sense associated with this God. And that's the God linked with creation. Yes. Uh, very much the act of creation, the big thing. And um, plurality has been, we, we, we touched upon that, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's a, that discussion within the Godhead type yeah. thing, yeah. Um, but the word Lord or Yahweh, as you mentioned, it, it's a personal name mm, yeah. for God. And we discover that later, the emphasis upon that. And mm-hmm. and there there seems to be linked with the, the name. I, I don't know, maybe you can say more about this, Andrew, but I link with the name Yahweh or Jehovah, as it sometimes is referred to. The, there are principles of, well, first of all, relationship mm-hmm. and also of reliability, right? So he's the God, as he revealed himself, particularly to the nation of Israel later in that Yahweh title. And it's to do with his covenant relationship yeah. with yeah. that people. And so there's there's a sense in which there's relationship and also the God of promise, the God of reliability, the God who can be trusted, seem to come into that uh, as well. Um, you know, I think those two are so connected. Yeah. Every yeah. every true relationship that well has to be based on ultimately on trust. Uh, absolutely. You know, and and so what? There's this idea. I mean, just seems to be on the surface here anyway that. You're coming into this, you know, man is standing before a God who is trustworthy, God who wants this relationship with him. And, and in a sense, isn't this one of the beauties of, of the position that man's in, that, that they can, in a sense, enjoy or enter into something deeper with God? Than, than the animals ever can, you know? And it's on it's on trust, isn't it? It's on trust. You yeah. know, that, that's, you know, I think... It's going to be broken in yeah. some measure in chapter three. Absolutely. So, because there's no trust, yeah. Yeah, so so God creates man here, but and he creates a creature that's capable of relationship with him in a very deep way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that relationship right from the start is uh, maintained and enjoyed on the basis of trust 
yeah. toward God and it is it's sacrificed basically uh, when when God is not believed yeah. uh, the enjoyment of that relationship goes okay. yeah. so I, yeah I think, a practical truth in our own yeah. life isn't it I Absolutely. Mean, that's why once we stop believing God's word you know I mean that's that is that it's so disastrous for us as Christians even you know, like you're only on a nosedive at that point. You know, if if, if because one once that that's that's where the devil gets in, isn't it? And and, and I don't want to like to take too much out of chapter three backwards, yeah. but but I think the fact that this is emphasized right at the beginning surely emphasizes well the importance of it. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. Thank you. Um, now, I come about down to, I think it's verse verse 7 uh, of chapter 2. It's, it's, it's a key verse, really. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being or a living soul. And, of course, um, this is, well, I suppose most of us that were brought up under Christian teaching know this verse uh, in, a, in a very definite way. Um, there seems to be mainly two elements to mankind emphasized here. There's the actions of God, obviously, we'll maybe come onto that as well. Um, but um, have you anything to help us with the, this idea of the dust of the ground and and the breath from God in relation to man, David? Um, maybe, maybe you can help us out in both those points. Well, as as um, I suppose, just maybe to say that you know, there's both the material and the immaterial aspect of yeah. the the human being, and they're brought together here. Yeah, you know, dust from the ground—that's the material breath from God. That's the spiritual or immaterial. It's not uh, actually thinking of physical air necessarily from God, although and there might be in the symbolism. It's definitely true. Yeah, but, but there's that you know it's it's like there's something from God here. Yes, uh, absolutely. There's something which isn't just the material stuff of yeah. of Earth. Um, I think that's yeah, um, and and as well as that, I think you know, maybe you know just when you trace through that idea of the dust from the ground, looking at things from the, the material standpoint, that seems to stress you know the, a humble origin. In, in a sense, there, there's there's a sense in which man has to recognize he is a creature and he's linked with creation. Yeah. And he's linked with creation when it comes to that thing of him being a finite being. You know, the, uh, like you go through those different references to that, you know, man being made of dust and, and they seem to constantly reference, you know, man's finitude, if we could say that, uh, you know, Dust thou art, unto dust shalt thou return. Or, yeah. or Abraham speaking to God and saying, you know, who am I to speak to the Lord? I'm just dust and ashes. You know, yeah. the, 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 these type of expressions that they 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 emphasize the the humility uh, or the humbleness of of man's origin, his his finitude. Uh, he's not in that sense like God. Um, but then. The breath from God then seems to, you know, be the other side of the thing, you know, where you, so, so, so in this, he's completely distinguished from the other creatures that there, there's, there's, so, um, in, in this, he has a link with God, mm -hmm. 
in some special sense. Um, you know, God exhales into man in that sense, or, or God, you know, yeah. uh, and and this this gives this spiritual dimension. And I I think that that's saying that there is a unique link between God and man, and and that's around the whole thing of that immaterial part, which someone has spoken of as as the the the, the real person in the sense of the the personality, if I could put it like that. Now, we need to be careful just saying he's the real person because the real person includes both. Yeah. But there is a, a, a yeah. sense in which um, that spiritual dimension is what is distinguishing man mm-hmm. from the created order that, that, that's around him. Yeah, so, so there's a sense in which the seat of man, to use an old expression, is the immaterial. Yeah, yeah. um, And and just to explain that, (laughs) if I can. But, you know, there's a sense in which that you're, if you like, what what you see when you you have a brain, Mm -hmm. and man is the physical part, Mm -hmm. but just like a piano doesn't play itself, but has a person to play it, Mm -hmm. brain itself, um, you know, has has the personality, has the, the decision-making and all that place, plays the brain, if you like. Yes, so there's brain. a mind behind the brain in that sense. There's a, there's a yeah. There's a being, being behind the, the, the outward form of us. Yeah, the body is how we interact with the world around us. Yeah. And, you know, all the physical aspects of, of, of our being are important. And we'll, we'll see that, but they're, they're in a sense, tools used by the core of our being um uh so i mean it is a it's a difficult subject you know the the link between the, the physical and the, the the supernatural but that thing just about god breathing you know with, it's an interesting thing isn't it to see the few times when god does breathe um yeah. and and you know upon um man here or into man and, and the Lord breathes upon his disciples in, in John 20. And, and then we talk, the Bible talks about the Bible, uh, the scriptures, uh, all scripture is God breathed. And, mm-hmm. you know, in each, on each occasion, there, there, there's this emphasis upon distinction. There's this emphasis upon like a, a, a contrast between man and the universe between this group of disciples and others or 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 between this book the bible and all other books and I like so, that that's really yeah. yeah thank you i want to go and think about that now yeah that's yeah. good that's good stuff yeah and i mean man became i think this expression man became a living soul or man became a it's interesting you know this expression living soul is it is a unique to manner um, it's, it's, I think the expression itself might not be completely unique um, in yeah. am I right? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, you, you, you are. As I now, I'm not in any sense a Hebrew scholar. Neither of us will claim that, you know. But it, I don't think that the expression "living soul" is is only used for man. Um, I mean, the, the, the words behind it. I, I mean, the Hebrew, and so many translations of the scripture as the new king james does just just refer to um the man as a living being and uh mm-hmm. you know if, if you go back even just in the chapter one 
time and again that word is used, living being, or that that expression is used in, in verse 21, I think it is. Verse 21, God created whales and every living creature. Uh, that's that's the same expression, every living being. And then verse 24, God said, let the earth bring forth the living being. Yeah. Uh, okay. After yeah. his kind, you know, it's a, it's a, it's the same expression, and mm-hmm. and even you know further down this passage, out of the uh, verse nineteen, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them under, and whatsoever Adam called every living being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 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 why why this verse does stress the u- uniqueness of man with with regard to the divine breath and so on the, the the words living soul could could simply be translated as, as as living being and sometimes are so the point isn't that we're unique because we're a living creature i, I think that's yeah, yeah. you know it, it it is it's more because of the kind of living creature yeah that we are and that, how god unique. brought it about absolutely so there's uh, an action that's being emphasized in this isn't there like, absolutely God's yeah. personal interaction. Now, you know, we see God speaking in chapter one and, 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 and things happening. Yeah. Um, and, and yet there's this micro detail all yeah. of a sudden. Yeah. Comes to, would, would that be fair? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and even you know. just the sense of God's interaction in, in, the, in the formation of, of man, whether it be it's bringing his constituent parts together, as it were, yeah, into this one being uh, of man. Is, is there's a thought of the unity of man in this too? I mean, you, you know, the kind of sense in which you've got, you've got these elements, but they form one. Um, you know, you, you become one integrated human being, as it were. Um, yeah. or you have one integrated you know, human being with Adam here and by extension with us. So whether it be our body, our body leans on our, our, our spirit uh, and, and, and vice versa. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? There's the, yeah. the, and the material, you know, to separate them is death, to be honest. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, that's that's very good. Yeah. To, yeah. to separate them is death. You know, that, yeah. that, that's, that's yeah. very good. No, the, like I, I think, Andrew, you know, that that's a thing to be remembered is that creation you know, even the references to creation in the New Testament with the Lord, you know, is involved in creation. Uh, very often they bring together not just the physical, but the spiritual aspect of, you know, the, the, the creation of the angelic beings and so on. Right. Right. So what I think is important to remember is that God created both. Uh, and the importance there is that both come from the hand of God and both have value. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's a danger and we've discussed this before, but there's a, the danger on emphasizing solely the spiritual mm-hmm. aspect of a, a person um, without the recognition of the importance of the physical aspect, because, um, you know, in creation, the physical was brought into being, and you know we, we remember that the Lord became a real man in a physical body and in incarnation. And we, you know the Bible emphasizes in the whole thing of resurrection that God is not 
his whole view of reality and its importance doesn't just uh, encircle the idea of the spiritual, uh, but the physical as well. And you could go on with that, uh, as you know. So, yeah, yeah, that's I think that's important, David, because when you think of it and, and we understand why we emphasize, we emphasize the spiritual because we can't see the spiritual. And yes, so often it needs to be. Yep, yep. Yeah. So, so when we're preaching the gospel, we're we're, we're telling people, your soul must be saved. That's true. I mean, mm-hmm. it's so true. <laughs> you can't get any. It's truer than true. It's true. But um, there's also the sense in which, yeah, but actually, your body's going to be saved too. Absolutely, the redemption of the body. The redemption of the body is part of the gospel as well. So, mm-hmm. so it's not like God's just discarded with the outward. And, and the only thing that matters is inward core, and He'll take that on to the next level. And we, we should even, we can even, yeah, you can even think of that in your care for people, you know. I mean, I, I was just, just uh, the emphasis, as we mentioned, is spiritual. That needs to be dealt with. So there's, there's no uh, diminishing of that. But, yeah. you know, come to the end of Second Timothy, and I was just thinking of Paul, you know, uh, writing to Timothy, and he, he wants, he's, he's alone, mm-hmm. you know, and he wants Timothy's company. Yeah. And uh, he wants a, a coat. A cloak, yeah, you know, and he wants the the books, you know, and it seems to me that you know you've got the 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 immaterial and the material are brought together, you know. He wants the body, soul, and spirit in there, you know, where 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 he he recognizes that uh, humanity, a person, is more than simply this. It wasn't just the books he wanted, yeah, you know. He also wanted the physical care of the coat and the emotional care of a friend. Yeah, and, like that. Th- those things I think are important. Yeah, I think I think so, and uh, and it's wonderful that you, you, we can see them even in the, these what look to be you know an, on initial reading quite you know the sort of quite, quite straightforward passages. And yeah, then start to dig in, and there's so much more to these things. Um, right. We we'll probably should just maybe talk, touch briefly before we conclude shortly. Um. We can maybe think about the Garden of Eden and Adam's place in it. Um, according to chapter 2, 8, um, let me see what it says here. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And then the Lord God, verse 15, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. This seems to touch upon a, a purpose that Adam was being given you know, to tend it and, and to keep it. Yeah. Do you, do you think there's any, any lessons anything we can draw out of this maybe? Yeah. Well, there, there is, we've thought about what man is, but you know, here, here he's placed in this, this, this garden and the environment is perfect. And, and just, just maybe to note what we've already noted about beauty, that God delights in beauty. There, there's an aesthetic kind of thing in here, you know, everything is pleasant to the sight and, you know, pleasant to eat and things like that, but, isn't but just that, to, to, that, like interesting because it, beauty is going to be used negatively in chapter three. That's right. That's right. But, but we can't reduce beauty to a negative thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. And I'm thinking about Christians today. There's a danger that that you can look upon. You know, you look upon a painting. Oh well. You know, we we can't think that something is is wrong simply because it's beautiful. 
Yeah. And you know, it's funny. It's funny. We don't, we, 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 there can be a tendency to do that when it comes to art. Yeah. Um, yes. But the, there's never a tendency to do that when it comes to food. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Are you specific about what we do? Yeah. Yeah, you know. I think, I think there's, a, there's a danger, isn't there, the danger of cutting cut, cutting away from the the framework of what God has here? Um, uh, yeah. There is a beauty. There's nothing wrong with the beauty. Now, the beauty, um, the, the, the fact that the tree was good for food and pleasant to the eyes was used by the serpent we'll find yep. uh, and and we need to be guarded and careful with that too but yep. I'm, I'm just it just when you, you mentioned that there it just came into my mind yeah no but that that's a hundred percent bro I, I think I think you see that all of these things are good if held in right relationship with God yeah you know that they're never you know that they're never once they are separated from that relationship with God and they become the big thing you know, um, and we're not seeing them in relationship to God, then we become worldly in that sense that, that these attractions become more yeah. to us than, than than our relationship with God, which is what happens in chapter three, as you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I know another wee thing, Andrew, just, just so that we don't maybe miss, I, I think it's important anyway. In fact, it, 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 it's something that could be missed. And, and it's the whole idea that, God did give man a purpose. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, and, and that purpose is linked with his work mm-hmm. and things like that. You know, so he, he so um he wasn't just intended to be a spectator in the universe. Um we, we, we discover here, you know, in fact, the very first mention of man in this section says in verse five, there was not a man to till the ground, you yeah. know. Yeah. You know, immediately links him with a purpose and, and a work to do. And then you've mentioned verse 15, he put him into the Garden of Eden to dress and keep it. So so he, he's a worker. He has a purpose. And, you know, um, so very often human beings, one of the reasons we feel to flourish and enjoy maybe life as we should is that we lose that sense of 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 purpose and you know and people recognize that people who don't believe in a god and and say we all came by uh, the result of a cosmic accident or, or something of the sort you know they, they all recognize that in, in or they often recognize that even though we don't have an ultimate purpose we kind of have to make one you know we have to you know we have to make a goal and we have to make a project and to kind of give our sense, ourselves that sense of purpose, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Well, what what we see in in chapters like this is that we have those desires and those needs because that fits with the way God has made us. That that need for purpose is aligned with the fact that God made us with purpose, yeah, and with design and with goal and so on, and and just just. An important thing there is that, you know, here, the man, this is paradise. Yeah. Yeah. But in paradise, man's a worker. So man's not sitting in his deck chair. So yeah. Chilling, yeah. You know, the eternally almost. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Not, not, without being frivolous about, it, but there, there's a sense in which I think it's really helpful that there's that man, once, once you understand that about, 
man, and once you understand that about yourself, yep, it it's the first step towards appreciating your purpose yep. and coming into the good of it and, and fulfilling it in some measure that, yep. you know, um, I, I, I'm reading a book at the minute, The Call by Oz Guinness. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's really emphasizing that that purpose side of man's call, you know, yeah. you know that, that, that sense in which, you know, because we do not believe, because the universe doesn't show that we're here by accident, well, then there is a purpose yeah. that we're here. You know, it's, it, you know, either, either you're, you know, it is a dichotomy, either you're here and there's no purpose to it, or you're here and there is a purpose. Yep. If you've ruled out the fact that the, that there is no purpose, then the, the alternative is that as, as even at a practical level, as Christians, this should be, we should be purposeful in our lives. You know, absolutely. I mean? And, and, and you know, and, and wider even than that, you know, the the the, the whole thing of ful- a fulfilled life, yeah, can't be lived without that. Yeah, you you, you know, you understand what I mean when I say yeah. that. You know, a, a life. The most, the most, um, the people who are most unhappy and discontent are often those who do not have a purpose and, and yes or a work yes or whatever yeah yeah well yeah i'm just you know yeah from the proverbs we would get that thought brought out you know yeah yeah definitely yeah, i think that's helpful uh anything else you're wanting to you bring in at that on that point well, well, well just just there's one thing more you know in in you know in the passage i think which is important and that is just that verse 16 17 bit where which is we're very familiar with in a sense because god commands the man and says of every tree of the garden you may freely eat mm-hmm. but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it yeah. for the day that you eat thereof you'll, you'll surely die um if we're talking about man's uniqueness mm-hmm. in creation that's a very important little section because um, what, what's happening here is that God recognizes the capacity of man to rebel against him. Mm-hmm. Now, this is not done in respect of any other creature. Um, there, there's no recognition in the two chapters that any other creature can rebel against God. That is, can act uh, inconsistent with what God has said, um, but here, um, what what happens is that God gives a command, and He then shows that there's a choice, mm-hmm. and then He tells the consequences of, of that choice. So, what what we're seeing is that the the human being isn't just an animal acting upon instinct. Um, he's to listen to God's word, he's to willingly obey it, and he does that from the heart. And he, and in the doing of that, just to come back to this idea of trust, that this is an expression of trust mm-hmm, mm-hmm. toward God, and this is what man can do. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see, obviously, the failure when we come into chapter 3, but I think it's important to see that there's a, a freedom under the sovereignty of God there's a, a freedom given to man here to choose, and uh, God 
exercises that sovereignty and calling man to account mm-hmm. in respect of the choice that that he he makes. So yeah, um, yeah, I think that's a really important point. Just that 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 God that God's sovereignty is not impe- impeded or impinged in any way by this because God is the one who chose to give man it. Absolutely, and so, you know. God is no less sovereign at this point mm-hmm. than he is in the present. You know, he, he's always completely sovereign. I think that's, you know, he's always completely in control. He's right. So, yeah. but, but yet we, we, we accept and we, we can't help but see that there was a freedom there given to man. Mm-hmm. And in some, first of all, God is sovereign in giving it. And also God is not out of control when it's given. No. You know, he he ultimately um, is able to work all things according to the counsel of his own will, and uh, that is that is why God is God. Uh, absolutely, you know, and uh, you yeah. know, isn't, isn't, isn't there a sense like you go to the other end of Genesis, and you know, Joseph is looking at his brothers as they come up, and they, you meant it for evil, yeah, but God meant it for good. You know, there, yeah. there's a sense in which there is like you know. Th- Okay, I'm giving into the hand of man the ability to ruin himself in a sense. Yep. But it's not like the hands off the tiller, as far as God's no. concerned. No, absolutely. So I think I think that's really helpful. And but the obvious conclusion from this passage is too that you know um, it's funny because and it's maybe a yeah, digression slightly, but yeah, you know the the very the firm atheist who who looks at something like this, comes to the, or well, not looks at this passage, but looks at, at mankind, comes to the conclusion that actually we do dance to our DNA. Yeah. And that ultimately, if you press the rewind button on the creation and got you back to the start and press play again, we would be in exactly the same place and we'd be having this discussion because all the elements and whatever, when you shoot the mixture up again, yep. get us to this the same point that we're in now. So whatever free will we have is simply an illusion. Yep. Um, which, which is not a biblical perspective of it at all. Because, no, I, and, and to be honest, it's an extremely destructive viewpoint because it, if, you know, you cannot... Um, make people offenders for anything justice goes out the window and 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 anything like that but that's kind of another issue yeah well people are are always then sick rather than sinning in that sense yeah. uh, that's just yeah. the, the nature but it just yeah yeah and I, I, I think i think a helpful thing because of the nature of the passage a, a helpful thing to recognize is that god is deliberately distinguishing man Mm-hmm. In, in these chapters from the animal world but mm-hmm. to remove from man f- freedom in the area of, of choice it is kind of just to make him no more than an animal because mm-hmm. he can't respond to god personally you know from himself mm-hmm. uh, and things like that which are the the uniqueness of man and and we're going to see that you know when it comes to temptation and so on and the fact of the fall and all these different kinds of things you know it, it's a, it's almost to say that um you know god he created the universe and the plant life and, and then he created animals and one of them was 
was mad, you know, because he's exactly the same. He only moves an in instinct. He only dances to his DNA. He, he can't do anything other than that which he's programmed to do. He's just a part of the machinery. Mm -hmm. But but the Bible is kind of showing us, I think, that man is definitely not that. Yeah, well, I, I mean, there's a, a kind of farce associated with it, too, is that the same people here are saying that we're going to be an the ones who are accusing us of being too religious, you yeah. know, um, or, or, or whatever, you know, like, yeah. or, or religion is bad and evil and wrong, you know, well, I can't do anything about it. I'm dancing to my DNA. Kind yeah, of, yeah. You know, but I mean, apart from the shallow arguments sometimes that are involved in this, um, I, I think, I think at the heart of it is, is, is this thought that God's sovereign, it, it's actually, a, a, I think, a lowering of God's sovereignty to view God as unable to control these circumstances. Yeah. You know, so to say God is somehow taken down by the fact that man has been given the choice here, I think undermines the true depth or height, if you like, of the sovereignty of God. You know, and God remains in control. Yeah. God has not ever given that up, nor will he. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, th I think that I think that's helpful. Really helpful. Thanks for bringing it in. I, I, I should have brought it into our general discussion earlier, you know, because I think I think this point is so important um, in understanding the nature of man. Yeah. And it also means that when Matt, when people do something wrong, they're blameworthy. So when Adam sinned, he was blameworthy. And yeah. and when God judges people, it's because they deserve to be judged. Yeah. And, and that, again, is such a central point to the whole of the um, understanding of Scripture, isn't it? Yes, and the gospel, yeah, and salvation yeah, and so on. Salvation, yeah. you know, if, if, yeah. we don't, if we don't accept responsibility for our own actions, we can never move forward and come back into a relationship with the God of heaven. Yep. So, so that, as you say, is central to the gospel as well. So that, I think that's a good point to leave it. Um, this is really helpful discussion, David. Thank you. Uh, we covered a lot. We covered... Yeah, uh, yeah it's maybe longer than it should be, but... <laughs> we covered yeah, in the good. environment, our relationship to the environment. We covered um, our relationship to God. Um, and, and even we, we discussed and, and thought a little bit about our own constitution, uh, as, as human beings uh, and the moral framework upon which God will judge mankind as well as, as kind of brought in at the end as well. So thank you, bro. And thank you for your help. In the next episode, we'll, we'll be looking at the formation of Eve and eventually the constitution of marriage at the end of, of that chapter. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Thank you, bro. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.